0: Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we continue our series on gospel friendships. This week, we're going to look at the crucial importance of developing deep friendships with our missionaries. Waterbrook has made it one of its priorities to make a difference to the ends of the earth. To do this, we are praying that we may equip and send people to partner and to disciple indigenous Christian leaders around the world. Would you pray this week that God would foster within us genuine and deep personal relationships with the missionaries we send and support? Would you ask to give God you a deep love for these brothers and sisters in Christ rather than just a distant one? What a difference Waterbrook can make if we go deep in love and service together. Let's worship together.
1: I want to remind you as we come to the Word of God that God intends all of us to hear the Word and be blessed by the Word. And I, I, want, to, if, I want to remind you that if the Holy Spirit speaks to you through the Word, at any point in time, and we're praying that happens, you just go off with the Holy Spirit and let Him speak to your heart and join up with us. This is not a lecture and a class in the sense that we're trying to impart information. This is an encounter of worship over the Word where God is meant to change and strengthen us. And so I'm praying that God will work in all of our hearts. Isn't it great? He can take the same text and divide it up and feed all His kids. And so that's what we want to happen today. But would you pray again? Let's just pray for some of the people who are coming into this tired and struggling and having had challenging weeks. So, Father, I thank you for uh, how we've already been praying together, and I just want to lift up those people who I am conscious of this morning who are struggling physically uh, with diabetes and struggling physically with broken (laughs) arms and wrists and... Uh, there, there's a lot going on. Pray for the Keppel family today. As, um, they're, they're not able, all able to be here today. And uh, as, as we're entering into worship, dear God, this morning when we study the Word, we want to be deeply relationally connected. We want to be deeply relationally connected. So help us not go through the motions. Help us to see each other, hear you, Help us to see each other the way you want us to see each other. And for all the students that are about to go back to school and all the strangeness of that, would you strengthen our children and our young people in their faith? May this, all this weirdness result in the growth of the church. May it cause their faith to grow. May their love for you grow. May their light shine brightly. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, in this text in um Philippians chapter 2, Paul is about to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi. And he's doing so because Epaphroditus is having a very difficult emotional time being separated from his home church family. He loves them. They love him. Paul loves him. And in all of this, Paul is deeply grateful for Epaphroditus. But as he does the calculations on the health of his ministry and their church, and Epaphroditus, he makes a decision which, if you read it carefully, is one of self-sacrifice for Paul. He, need, he could use Epaphroditus. He's in prison. Epaphroditus has helped him and been an encouragement for him, but when he does all the math, he, he makes the decision, I feel like the best option for us right now is for Epaphroditus to come back to you so you can do a, a face-to-face with him, so you can see him. You ever, you ever long to see somebody? Uh, you, know, you know them, you love them, but you haven't seen them for a while. And some of you know I'm doing that cross-border lock-off on both sides. So um, I want to see my kids up in Canada, I want to see my parents up there. Um, I would love to go to Honduras. I just, I just Googled the other day what the State Department regulations are traveling to Honduras. I thought, how long do I have to quarantine to go down and see Lauren and Diego? And, and the State Department uh, stipulation for Honduras right now, because they have like four different categories of travel restrictions, is number four. It says in capital red, do not go to Honduras. And so, of course, I read the small print. I mean, what do you really mean? <laughs> you know what it's like when you want to be with someone? I mean, so I look down and it says, yes, you can go to Honduras. <laughs> but I look looking, how do I get there? The warning is not just COVID, it's crime. You know, and so when you've got family in different places and you're wanting to be there and you care about people, that's engaging you in a very deeply human way. And one of the things I want you to see and want you to know as a church family is when we are seeking to establish our mission work as a church, our intention as a church is to ensure that our relationships with the missionaries are not just numerical and tactical, but they're deeply relational. Deeply relational. So I want to, first of all, introduce you to Mike Meyer. Mike, if you want to stand up and wave. Uh, if you haven't met Mike. So Mike is, on behalf of Waterbrook, the, directing our global missions ministry and so we are pulling the team together praying beginning to establish what it's going to look like but one of the things we're really clear about at Waterbrook is when we establish our mission work and our relationship with missionaries we are not going to keep it at a tactical distance so we're taking our time, we're building relationships, we want to know them. And so uh, let me give you another little uh, piece of information. If you do not have this book and you want to know a, what's guiding Waterbrook, this is a book uh, called Missions, and it's by Andy Johnson. David Platt does the foreword. It's a small, easy-to-read book about missions. This is our kind of little textbook at Waterbrook for how we're doing missions. And so it ties in really well to this passage of Scripture. But I'm going to read you a quote from Andy Johnson about what missions should look like and our relationship with our missionaries. So it says, partnerships with your missionaries should not be based on projects, but on personal relationships. So can I reiterate that and let you hear that today? Isn't that true for all of us as Christians? I mean, it, in some ways, it sounds like we're saying the obvious, but it hasn't been historically the obvious. Those of you who have done mission work know that, that someday, sometimes you get sent and then you get what? Forgotten. Or you're, you're at a distance and you get disconnected. So often we're tempted, he writes, to think that we need to have our fingers in many places around the world in order to be faithful to the Great Commission, But he says, but keeping up with many contacts in many places often results in shallow and ineffectual relationships. In most cases, churches would do better to pick a few workers and go deep in relationship in their work. Do you agree with that? Does that make sense to you? It would be better to go deeper with a few relationships with missionaries than to, and to, than to feel like you've got a lot of connections around the world, but you're not really connected with those that are on the ground. And so would you look at Philippians 2 and see that relationship? Because here's what's gone on. Paul has a deep relationship with the church at Philippi. Philippi, loving Paul, Decides that they're going to support Paul in his imprisonment as a missionary. And in order to support them, they send him a gift. But it's interesting, if you read, the only two times in the Bible Epaphroditus comes up is in chapter 2 and chapter 4 of Philippians. And in chapter 4, it's clear that they send Paul a gift. They give him monetary or practical support. Epaphroditus brings it to them. But they don't send Epaphroditus as their delivery boy. They send him as their personal representative to engage in a deep relationship with the Apostle Paul. So Epaphroditus is someone they love. They know. They believe will represent them well. And they send him and say, Epaphroditus, you deeply engage whatever Paul needs give yourself to serving him. Isn't it a pretty powerful thing when you don't just send a note, a card, some money, but you send a human being? That's a powerful thing, to send a human being and put them on the ground. And that's what's happened there. And so the Apostle Paul, I want you just to look at that text, and I'm going to outline with you um, the level of emotional connection. That's what I'm bringing home. I think we need to have more than an intellectual connection with our missionaries. We need to have a deep uh, relationship, deep affection, deep emotional connection with our relationships. And that's impossible to do casually. It's impossible to do casually. And so, uh, listen to the language. I'm going to give you how Paul uses emotional language in this last section, 25 to 30. He says about Epaphroditus. Why is he sending him? He has been longing for you. He is deeply, what? Distressed. Is distress a word you use casually? Would Paul use it casually? Does the Holy Spirit use it casually? He says, I'm writing this lest I have sorrow upon sorrow. Hear Paul's emotional language. That I may be less anxious. Receive him with all joy, he says. Honor such men, for he nearly died. He nearly died. Do you hear that what, what they've done is send somebody who has given everything physically, ministerially, relationally to minister to the Apostle Paul. Paul has been so deeply affected and he knows this connection that he says, as much as I need him, I've got to send him back. For his sake, for your sake, and even for my sake, I need to do this. Now, now, when you read your Bible, this is, the reason why this is the case is because this is what our God is like. When God sent his son, Jesus, into the world, did he send him to do a task so that he could just kind of callously, coldly, efficiently accomplish our salvation and walk away? No. In fact, we are told in the Bible, in the letter to the Hebrews, that God would not allow Jesus, did not install Jesus as our high priest until Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. That's the Father. What's the Father saying to the Son in Hebrews, we're told? that he would not let Jesus become our high priest until he was tested in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. So that we have a great high priest who has made atonement for our sins, but we can go to for grace and mercy in our time of need. Our heavenly Father said to his Son, you will not be the kind of leader, you will not be the kind of priest who is dispassionately connected from my children. How many of you parents want teachers who are dispassionately disconnected from your kids? How many of you want people handling your kids who don't care about your kids? See, what, what, what God requires of Jesus is he says, you will be a great high priest when you feel for them what they feel, when you engage in their sorrows, when you weep with them. And so Jesus is called what? A man of sorrows And acquainted with grief. That's our God. And my dear friends, if that's our God and that's our Savior, that's got to be His church. It's got to be His church. And so the call in missions is to get your heart and your head into the game. To be called in. We don't want our neighbors coming in and meeting cold, calculated, religious, churchianity people. We want people when we hear you broke your wrist or that your kid is struggling or you're going to a funeral this week or you're diagnosed with cancer that we don't rush on and we ignore it but we, we sit down and we settle in it and cry out to a Savior who feels it fully. Aren't you glad Jesus feels it fully? Amen. Do we not need a church where we feel one another's sorrows and joys deeply and we're willing to linger before God with it? That's what we need. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Paul says, or Peter says in 1 Peter, after he talks about we have this great Savior who shed his blood for us, he says, having this great salvation, he says, love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another, how? Deeply, deeply from the heart. The call of Christianity is for a deep, deep love. Is that Risky. How many of you come in on Sunday tired, right? You're physically tired, you're mentally tired, you're emotionally tired, you come to get rejuvenated, you sure hope the pastor isn't putting a weight on you, (laughs) requiring more of you. But here's what I want to say, I'm not requiring more of you, I'm getting you to require more of Christ. Because this is what Jesus is like. And if you want to know the deep, deep love of Jesus, you need to ask Jesus to put you in deep, deep relationships with other people. If you want to know the deep, deep love of Jesus, you need to be in deep, deep meaningful relationships with other people. So let me just point out a couple things in the text this morning and walk through it. The first thing that Paul commends, when he sends Epaphroditus, he commends Epaphroditus' service. And this is what I want you to see here, When he, the way Paul does it. Paul, in this text, recognizes that the deepest investment we can make in our missionaries' lives is not financial, it's relational. Right? Even though they've given a gift, the focus is on their relationship. The deepest investment, we, obviously Paul needed support in prison obviously he had practical needs but what Paul commends is the relational connection that he has in in Epaphroditus's ministry to him so listen to three things he says what does he call and and I want you to notice this I'm um, John Lightfoot not Gordon Lightfoot if you're Canadian anybody know who Gordon Lightfoot is yeah you got you got to be 100 years old and you've been to Canada no a bit. but you know Gordon Lightfoot this is John Lightfoot I'm quoting not Gordon so it's not the What's the ship on Superior? Edmund Edmund. Fitzgerald. You young guys know Gordon? You guys are great. (laughs) The Edmund Fitzgerald. Okay. (laughs) Um, Listen to John Lightfoot. He says, the words that Paul uses here are arranged in an ascending scale. So listen to his description of Epaphroditus. He says, I thought it necessary to ascend you, Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. So he says, that's ascending language. The very first thing he says is he doesn't say, I'm going to send back Epaphroditus, your brother. I'm going to send you back Epaphroditus, my brother. So we know that Epaphroditus, when he went there, was relationally invested in the Apostle Paul. They were brothers in his imprisonment. They were shoulder to the, shoulder. The love Paul has, For Epaphroditus is because Epaphroditus had a love for Paul, and that's what we—that's the language of Christianity. Christianity is not about an organization; it's about a family. We are the family of God. And when we send missionaries and support ministry, missionaries, those missionaries are our family. When Epaphroditus got on the ground, he built a relational connection with the Apostle Paul. So we're we're praying that over Waterbrook. We want to know. We want we want our missionaries to know that we genuinely love them. That's what we're praying over our hearts. We want to know them. We want to love them. We want to be connected to them. We want them without doubt to know that Waterbrook loves them. So he's relationally connected. He calls him my brother. Then he calls him what? My fellow worker. Paul couldn't have done his ministry from prison. And he's excited over the ministry. He says, you know what? The gospel's increased. Waterbrook is so thrilled for COVID. I mean, not for COVID. But our ministries increase. We've seen people come to Christ. We're sharing the gospel. We're seeing God work. Isn't it great that God takes difficult situations and shows that God is mighty to save? And so he takes Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus goes in, and Paul's ministry is increased. Now, when Paul's ministry increases with Epaphroditus there, you know what your temptation would be. Let's keep him. Let's just keep him, Right? But he loved him. And he was thankful that Epaphroditus got there, rolled up his sleeves and said, Paul, what do you need done so the gospel goes forward? He's his co-worker and then he's what? His co-fellow soldier. When Paul uses the word soldier, he means by that fellow sufferer. Because when he thinks soldier, he means Suffering. Uh, he says to Timothy, when he writes Timothy, Timothy, suffer hardship as a good soldier. When you sign on as a soldier, you realize you're going to have hardship. They take you down to Pendleton or down to San Diego, or they take you off to boot camp, and, and they, what do they do? They give you a comfy bed, they let you sleep in, you get lots of meals, and then they, they read you a bedtime story at night. You ever watch the movies? What are those soldiers doing? Right, left, right, left, right, left, right, and some guys behind them. Pick it up, you little girls. <laughs> right? Step up. Right? And what we a we're gonna make men out of you. And, and they drive you and drive you because what are they trying to do? They realize that when you get out there in the middle of the desert, when you get out there away from the, the comforts of home, you're going to encounter things that are going to require suffering and sacrifice. When Paul says to, I'm going to send you Epaphroditus, my fellow soldier, Epaphroditus has stepped up when it cost. He stepped in when it hurts. He stood strong when it was difficult. And so that's why he's commending him. They have worked hard. They've labored hard. They've suffered in prison. Together, he loves him. And he says, I'm sending him back to you. But what he starts out with is a commendation that this Epaphroditus is someone that I deeply am indebted to. I'm deeply thankful for. I'm directly connected to. And so I want to say this, first of all, that when we are connecting and we're establishing relationships with our missionaries, that we want our missionaries to know that we acknowledge and appreciate the sacrifices, the hard work, and the suffering, and we want to be in there with them all the way through Does that not seem obvious to you? Does that sound right to you? But let me say this, it doesn't happen. It often doesn't happen. What, what often happens is we're very careful to make sure that we've vetted. And here, here's, here's the danger for our churches here in America when we have missionaries out there. We vet and then we forget. We vet and then we forget. God forgive for, forgive us for such things. And so as we begin to build our ministry, we believe the vetting is important. We need people who will serve and sacrifice, but we also need to realize that when we ask them to make a sacrifice, they know we'll go with them in it, and they're not left alone. That's the call. So that's the first thing. Paul commends Epaphroditus' service. Then I want you to see in the language, he recognizes and he commends his suffering or his sacrifice. And so this is it. We need to recognize that the deepest investment that we make in missionaries is relational. We also need to recognize that the deepest sacrifice that missionaries make is relational. The deepest sacrifice they make is relational. And so in this text of Scripture, notice what the Apostle Paul says in verse 26 and 27. He says, I'm going to send Epaphroditus, for he has been longing for you all, has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So it, it, it's it's interesting, you know, as Paul describes Epaphroditus, he says that Epaphroditus had physical risks. He had physical risks in coming to be with Paul. And so he sacrificed and he suffered. He acknowledges that. Epaphroditus really be, did become ill. To the, the language he uses in the Greek means near unto thanatos in the Greek, which is death. So Paul's not exaggerating. He almost died. And that's a risk for missionaries. Can you imagine back then in biblical times? Or even think a, 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 a generation or a century ago, when missionaries packed up and went off on the mission field, there, were, there was not the medical accessibility that we have today. And, and so some of the missionaries, historically, when they packed up their belongings and they got on a ship, not a plane, and they went off to Africa or Burma or China or India, they would pack, some of them would pack their books their clothes, all their belongings in a coffin. It was a symbolic gesture. They would nail it shut. The symbolic gesture was, we are leaving till we get to glory. It was a lifelong sacrifice and commitment. And Paul realized there's physical things. I remember, you know, so my, I, my daughter Lauren's in Tegucigalpa. I can remember the call, you know, and talking to her, when they encountered a robbery on the road and guys were out with guns and there's guys on the street and a couple of men had their shirts pulled off and one guy was bloody in the, in, the, in the gutter. And Lauren's describing to me a group of four American Christian teachers encounter going down the mountain that day. And then she says as we were quickly backing up to take off we looked and realized the two guys being beaten up were our pastors. And so they backed in real quick and threw the, the trunk open and their pastors piled into their vehicle and off they went. I remember Lauren calling me and saying to me, um, uh, or Diego contacting us and saying, Lauren is really ill, they're giving her injections, she's got dengue fever. You know, there, there are real risks that go with missionary life, physical, practical risks. But you notice that when Paul describes Epaphroditus, being unto death, he, he says, yes, he was physically at risk, but God miraculously, he said, God had mercy on him. He means God did a miracle. He means that they were beyond hope of human intervention. God had mercy. God delivered him. God rescued him. But he said, I'm not sending you because he got near death. God rescued him. I'm sending you because ever since you heard that he was near unto death, he's been aching that you would understand he's near unto life that he's under life, that he's living. He wants you to know. So there is a relational pain that is even greater in this text than the physical pain. And that's true for missionaries. Missionaries are often caught between two worlds. They have a family at home they would love to see and they deeply love, and they have a family that they're learning and becoming a family of on the mission field, and their heart is torn in both directions. Isn't that true? torn in both directions. It's emotionally difficult. So Carice, would you raise your hand here? So Carice is home from Italy. Carice Pagano is home from Italy because while she was serving over there, she found out her sister was terminally ill with cancer here in the Twin Cities. So she has come back and she's going through the grief going through the grief of remembering a sister who was her best friend, right? Your closest human in your life. And so here she is. So we want her. She comes in and works in the office up here two or three times a week, and we pray together and come in. We, We can't carry that burden, but we want her to know she matters to us. We want her to know she's loved. We want to know she can grieve all she needs to grieve while she's here. The relational cost is high. You shouldn't be alone in the relational pain. Right? Don't we all need this? Amen. And so, so it's absolutely important that our missionaries are not just financially supported but that we recognize the emotional sacrifices that come with being caught in two different worlds where you're not home here because you're called there and you're not home there because you're from somewhere else. You're a stranger and an alien in a foreign land pouring out your heart on both ends that's what we're called to do. But finally I want you to see here in the in the text the apostle Paul's final exhortation there in this passage of scripture where he, where he he uh He commits himself to Epaphroditus' return. He says in verse 29, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work, risking his life to complete what's lacking in your service to me. Paul's indebted, you're indebted. But notice what he's doing. Paul's committing to Epaphroditus' return. So here's a simple point I want to make in this text right now. I want you to see, it's not only important to send your missionaries out, it's important to receive them home. It's important to realize that this relationship is for the going out and the laboring, but it's also for the coming back and the recovering In the language of the Apostle Paul in his explanation here in this text of Scripture is really saying that, one, receiving them home is as much a calling as sending them out, recognizing their sacrifices. Notice Paul emphasizes Epaphroditus' sacrifice. We need to recognize the sacrifices that our missionaries make. Even if they don't die, the cost is high, right? even if they're emotionally drawn out, and you and I got to realize missionaries are just like us. They have all the struggles. They have all the emotions. They have all the baggage. They have all the difficulties. They have all the family. There is so many missionaries historically who have gone out, and the church has made them think or made them feel like they had to live like superheroes. Nobody's a superhero except Jesus, we are broken and needy people in fact what makes a good missionary is their ability to groan and weep with those who weep acknowledge the brokenness of the people they're around and show them that Jesus is enough but we need to do that and so sometimes one of the things we need to do when our missionaries come back is we need to we need to celebrate their struggles as much as their successes That's what Paul's doing here. He's acknowledged that Epaphroditus has been super helpful, but he's acknowledging that he sacrificed and suffered much. And so, you know, we don't like to do that because, and sometimes it's hard for missionaries because missionaries, if they want to keep their support and their connection up, most of the time you feel like there's a great pressure to write a letter that says you've had a million converts and you're doing super well and everything's going grand, when most of the time it's hard sweat and toil and tears and brokenness, just like you and your family, just like me and my family, right? And we've got to be able to thank God when missionaries come back and say, Thank you for going there, suffering additional hardship and pain. And and, and we're not counting numbers, we're counting faithfulness, because that's what God counts. Faithfulness. You plant, right, Paul says, one plants, one waters, who causes the growth? God. Some people have ministered their whole lives and not seen any fruit till the next generation. But it was for Jesus. There's a story at the beginning of the 19th century, around 1909, Henry Morrison and his wife were returning from, I think, 40 years of ministry in Africa. So imagine what that was like at the end of the 1800s. Several decades of ministry, and they came into New York Harbor. They were on a steamship, because that's how you traveled then. So as Henry Morrison and his wife came into New York City Harbor on a steamship, they started to hear the sound of music. And when they got close to shore, there was a marching band. There was a band playing, and there was loud music, and there was a big crowd gathering. And they thought, wow, somebody's come to greet us. We We spent our whole lives over in Africa sacrificing. When they get to shore and they pull into the port, they realize, which they did not know up to that point in time because it had been kept secret, but uh, the President of the United States was on the ship with them. And he had gone over, financed to do some research. He was actually on a hunting trip, except, uh, uh, particularly, over in Africa. And so the band was not for them. It was for the president, right? And so as they came to shore and the, and the, the, uh, the band was playing and the president, president Roosevelt got off the, off the ship, the people celebrated and the crowd dispersed, and they got off the ship and realized there was absolutely no one there to greet them. No one. So he and his wife um, got arranged a ride, and they went to an apartment that the mission board had set up for them. And when they got there, he began to tell his wife how much he was struggling. He says, "How is this that the president of the United States can go on a hunting trip and he's got a crowd gathering and a band playing?" And says, "We've spent our lives in Africa, and we get back." And, and nobody's here. Nobody acknowledges we poured out our lives. you know. And He's telling his wife this, and he, and he goes on for a few days like this, and finally his wife says, Honey, you're going to be no use to the Lord until you settle this with God. And she says, You've got to go talk to God. You've got to go pray with God. You've got to settle this with the Lord, or this is going to go with us the rest of our lives. So he goes off and prays, and I think the, uh, Ray Stedman tells this story. I think, I think it was only a matter of like 10, 15 minutes... He came back and he said to his wife, I'm okay now, I'm at peace. And she said, how can you be at peace now after that little bit of time? She said, I went and talked with the Lord and the Lord said something very clear with me. He said to me, you need to understand something, son. The reason you're struggling is because you think you're home. You're not home yet. You're not home yet. And one day when those missionaries get home, They will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, because we have a Savior who sees every tear, wipes away, and acknowledges every struggle, who has himself entered into a world of suffering so that God has made it a requirement of Jesus, our great and merciful high priest. You will not be such a Savior. Every one of your sheep, every one of your people, you will embrace their pain, you will engage with their struggle, and you will be with them until when? The end of the age, and he'll come again. Isn't that great? We have such a savior. We have a savior who did not stay at a distance. He's our real elder brother. (laughs) Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers, he's the great co laborer because he's done all the work. He lived our life. He obeyed the the commands of God. He died on the cross in our place. He's he's our co-worker. Is he our co-soldier? He's our co-soldier. He's our fellow soldier. Because he didn't just suffer in his life. He suffered for our life. The great news for you and I is that's our God. And the great motivation is if that's our God, then in his strength, let's be that kind of people. With his help and with his grace. Waterbrook, would you agree with me? that as we begin to build our missions ministry, as we begin to advance our missions ministry, that our missions ministry is not about numbers. Our missions ministry is not about throwing cash and sending people off. We are going to be deeply connected with our missionaries and with their nations and the places where they go to make a difference from the beginning to the end in the middle on both sides in the strength and the grace of Jesus. That's our prayer. So would you pray with me? Let's pray that Jesus, who is like this, would make us strong in him so we would be that way for one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those who we are already connected with who are serving you. I pray for more of our own flock that would go to the nations. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as we build the relationships That you would bind us together deeply in Jesus Christ. That our love for each other and for our our missionaries would extend so that we would engage deeply in supporting, encouraging, praying, weeping, and, and walking through life and mission with them. So help us, dear God. We want to make a difference to the nations. But we want to do it, dear God, in the way that Jesus has done it for us. So we thank you. We pray, bless the nations, dear God. Bless the nations. May all peoples of every tribe and tongue come to bow at the feet of Jesus. That's our prayer. We ask in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, Watch previous sermons. Go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.